know, I think one of the terms that I've appreciated a little bit more is around learning recovery. You know, when it comes to this idea of learning loss, I'm much more concerned about what it looks like for students that maybe have had interrupted access to living situations that have not been consistent, you know, over the past year. That's going to make the transition back a little bit more challenging for them. Hi, and welcome to another episode of our podcast. This time we're doing Twig Education on EdTech. I'm Dr. Kim Mueller, and I'm going to be talking to Dr. Monica Burns, who, as many of you will know, is an educator, author, speaker, and EdTech consultant. Monica runs the website classtechtips.com, which I highly recommend you check out for inspiring ways to weave digital tools into education, free resources, and more. I'm going to be talking to Monica about tech tips for teachers and admins, especially in the context of the experiences we've all had in the last year. As you'll hear, Monica is a big advocate of what she calls open-ended creation tools. If you want to try a resource that gives students the opportunity to express their creativity, to build knowledge and develop literacy, make sure to visit twigcreate.com, our easy-to-use video editing experience. You can sign up for a free teacher account today. I can't wait to talk to Monica. Let's get started right away. Hi, Monica. Welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Thank you for having me today. I am really excited to be talking to a pro podcaster today who has such an enormous following and wanted to really dig in with you about your journey into the education podcast world um, by starting to ask you, where did you start your journey in education? So I started my work in education as a classroom teacher. I taught in an elementary school in New York City with an overhead projector and chalk and a chalkboard and all of those great things and then transitioned into a one-to-one environment with iPads. So pretty early on with iPad integration um, in the classroom in terms of just national you know, adoption of, of going one-to-one with devices. And so at that time, the folks at Apple Education had asked me to come to an event they were having for some teachers in downtown New York. I was working um, uptown in, in South Harlem. And so when I arrived, it wasn't just a few teachers. It was a few hundred teachers folks um, at that event said, what's your Twitter handle? What's your blog? And I didn't have an answer. I had nothing to share um, in that moment. Um, You know, fast forward a couple um, months later or so and kind of pulled some different things together. Or so I should say that was the beginning of 2012. And then uh, later in 2012, my my blog launched. And since then, I mean, almost 10 years um, with the podcast and the books and the professional development, it's been quite a wild ride. For me, it's really all about providing value and helping people save time and hopefully make their lives a little bit easier when it comes to something intimidating uh, like education technology. Bringing up intimidating as a former educator, I know sometimes I feel like a technology relic. Do you find that there is one particular technology that teachers are most reluctant to implement in their classroom? I would say that, you know, when I talk to educators, a lot of them are um, 
are happy to find technology that solves a pain point. So when it comes to things that are reluctant um, in terms of adopting them or trying them out with a group, I think the things that don't show, at least on the first go of it, that they provide value or going to solve a problem are the ones that folks are a little bit more hesitant to spend time in. I think the framing of things is so important, but the types that um, I find folks are much more hesitant to are the ones that seem a little clunky, that there's a few barriers for entry, and that there's not a perceived value right from the get-go. What do you think is the technology that teachers should require in a new curriculum that's being purchased in their district? One of the big things, and the adoption of this has been much more widespread over the past year based on just necessity of delivering content and organizing content, but I think really top of the list is a strong hub or platform like a learning management system. Even in a K-2 classroom, that might be something like Seesaw, which might not feel as robust, say, as Schoology, but accomplishes all the same sort of goals. So I would say that's really the first big thing. And then it's around kind of filling in your tool belt with content that might fall into more of a consumption for students on where are they going to go to find articles or videos or podcast episodes or resources like that. And that might be one spot that has a lot of content specific um, pieces that can be shared with students. But then the other kind of piece in the tool belt um, is one around And I use the term open-ended creation tools to talk about this a lot, right? Something that's really a blank canvas that kids can use in a lot of different spaces. Maybe it's a movie making tool. Maybe it's a tool that allows them to create and publish a website that's more text-based with some different types of multimedia incorporated in there. So I love the idea of having that central hub as a go-to place, something that's been invested in across the board so that everyone has a level of support that they need. Then really looking to say, what kind of content do I want to distribute and push out to students? And what do I want them to make or create? And how am I going to give them a tool that allows them to do that? And, you know, throughout that process of having a learning hub, of sharing resources with students and the creation opportunities, you know, there's plenty of formative assessments and check-ins and other things that can be woven in uh, to the conversation there as well. Being able to have students create things like videos, um, being able to do those formative assessments in ways that are creative and fun. I know I've heard a lot about student voice and agency. Monica, what does that mean to you when you hear that term? When I think about student voice, it's really about the sense of choice that they can have um, when it comes to the types of learning experiences. So their voice being heard and listened to when they say that they are interested in learning more about something or they're curious or wondering about something specific. They know that they're in an environment where their contributions are valued and heard and, and not just acknowledged, but also action is taken based on the things that they share. You know, I think that that is something that teachers are really putting at the forefront of what they're doing, going back into the classroom, creating that environment of safety for their students to feel that they can express their own voices. This transition back into the classroom is traumatic as going from the classroom into distance learning. When we think about technology and that term learning loss that we keep hearing in the education forums, are there any suggestions of how to approach that topic going back into classes this spring, summer school, and then approaching next school year? 
With the term of learning loss, you know, I understand the intention that folks have using that term in many contexts, right? They're worried about what might have happened or what had not happened um, and what we expect students to do over the course of the year. I worry about the term a bit when it's used to uh, really think about measurement in a way that might not be productive. Right, so thinking about measuring things that we just are in no position to measure, right? Based on the global pandemic that we are in, economic crisis that we're all, frankly, right, still a part of right now. So, you know, I think one of the terms that I've appreciated a little bit more is around learning recovery or thinking about how can we look at where we are now and prep kids for what it might look like for them to be in an environment that requires a different level of stamina or where they're going to have to be kind of brought back into a fold. It doesn't mean that you know there shouldn't be a level of understanding of where kids are at, right? And some assessments are necessary for making that happen. But you know, when it comes to this idea of learning loss, I'm much more concerned about what it looks like for students that maybe have had interrupted access to uh, food, right? Interrupted access to living situations that have not been consistent, you know, over the past year or um, have had other disruptions in their lives that's going to make the transition back a little bit more challenging for them. So, you know, for as much as something like that is, is front of mind for me from an academic or, you know, content perspective when it comes to supporting kids. I also, you know, I'm always trying to be mindful in those conversations to really think about all the other things that might come into the equation so that we're gathering all the information that we need uh, to make sure students are where they need to be, as opposed to thinking that a test at this part of the year, say, or finishing the year with standardized state testing, I don't know that that's going to give anyone the strongest, most actionable data that they're going to need right, as they move into the fall. That term learning recovery, I think we need to start a movement to change the the way that people are looking at it, not using the, the term we started that question with. So one of the things that we really value at Twig Education is fun. We really like to have fun. We think all of our programs, our curriculums um, bring fun into the classroom. Can you give us a tech tip that teachers could implement that can really bring some fun through technology? Yeah, and I love you know all the resources that you all have created just with that in mind, right? To make sure that the learning experiences students have are ones that are right full of, of joy and excitement and are high interest and engaging for them. And so, you know, to build upon that, one thing that I think someone could start right away is thinking about brain breaks as something that are fun, but also really useful for students to pause and to reset and to refocus on the work that they are doing. So a brain break might have a level of, of levity or, or silliness to it, uh, right? It might be something where you ask everyone to draw a quick picture of an animal they wish existed, right? Or to play a this or that game, right? Would you rather be able to read people's minds or talk to animals, right? Or something that's going to break things up. It really is about lessening that cognitive load that might be happening during a heavy lifting and exhausting task that students have. And so I really think that's a great way to bring in something fun, whether it's playing a quick video, having a class song that's being played during a transition, something to just break things up, not only from a scheduling perspective, but also from a, okay, this was, this is a hard moment. We worked really hard and now let's take a moment um, and take that deep breath. And for, you know, adult learners, if 
You've heard of the Pomodoro technique before where you do the 25 minutes of really focus. This is the one thing I'm doing. No email, no phone. I've got the one thing I need to accomplish. And then you take that five minute break, right? You do that because you can't work like that for more than 20, 25 minutes or so, right? Without either giving up or exhausting. You know, we don't ask adult learners or workers or anyone, you know, necessarily to put in that sort of heavy lifting all the time without interruption. And so if we can build that capacity for students too, you know, there's a lot of levels there. So I love brain breaks for being fun and light and just an ability to also build some community where kids might share out or have a a fun moment with a classmate. We've been focusing a lot on classroom teachers, and I know part of our audience is the administrator who, boy, they've had an equally daunting task this year to be able to manage through what they have gotten through. And do you have any tech tips for administrators or principals to help them bring things to the next level during the school year using technology? Yeah. So for, you know, this has been an opportunity for a lot of learning and observation when it comes to noticing folks in your school community who might have um, a more excitement or more passion or more interest when it comes to uh, integrating technology into instruction. And so I don't mean that to say that one thing is better than another, but it's really been a fact finding, you know, to say that an admin might say, okay, this is someone who I didn't know, right, was really excited about doing this type of activity. And so it's an, I would say from an admin perspective, this is an opportunity to look at where people are and what they can bring to the table, really celebrate those pieces. Everyone's got something that they can share, even in a technology, you know, friendly environment, whether someone shared with you a quick way that they manage their inbox with family emails, or someone showed off the wild and fantastic movies their kids made, right? While they were um, creating something. It's an opportunity to share and to celebrate and to build the capacity of your your staff. And part of that might be taking this chunk of the year now to do some fact finding and say, what is that thing I can celebrate and share and make that person the one that's the go-to or the point person uh, for a particular type of activity or, or use case when it comes to integrating digital tools. I love that celebration. It's a time to celebrate. Monica Burns, I want to thank you so much for your conversation with me today. You have really inspired me and I appreciate you doing the work that you do for teachers, providing them with the latest that's going on in technology in the education world. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Monica. Monica.